It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello, I'm Kay Winnigal. Thanks for joining me on another Beyond Zero Science and Solutions show. This show is coming to you via the studios of 3CR Melbourne and is syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. According to the Climate Council Project Tracker, in 2019, renewable energy investment in Australia was over $19 billion, with Victorian projects contributing more than a quarter of that sum. This augurs well for the future, as Victoria currently generates over 25% of its energy from renewable sources. But, admittedly, this is still much less than South Australia, which generates well over 50%. Not so long ago, I spoke with the South Australian Energy and Mining Minister, Dan Van Holst-Pelican, about South Australia's impressive renewable energy credentials. Today, I'm speaking with the Victorian Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change and the Minister for Solar Homes, Lily D'Ambrosio. Hello, Lily. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Kay. Firstly, Lily, I imagine you've had a hectic and stressful year just managing to work around the havoc coronavirus has inflicted on the state. How has that affected the outcomes you expected to achieve this year? Well, we know that the global pandemic has uh, impacted people in all different ways, but, you know, equally in, in many ways in terms of the stress that it's caused. And as we sort of come out of it, in, in Victoria at least, in terms of uh, coming out of the second wave and looking forward to a vaccine, then uh, certainly just from my portfolio perspective, it's certainly put into sharper focus that the economic stimulus that's required globally and no less so uh, in Australia to help create those jobs um, where many people have lost jobs because of uh, the virus really does present us with a really important opportunity to do more in the way of uh, climate change mitigation. And uh, we know that uh, through the global financial crisis that occurred um, just a handful of years ago, the country's that did the best were the countries in terms of coming out of the global financial crisis and, and you know, being able to recover as, as societies. The ones that did the best really understood the importance of economic stimulus being tied to doing more on climate change, really preparing the society, our communities for climate change. And so, and, and they did that very, very well. And Certainly uh, in Victoria, my mind is sharply focused on how we can see the opportunities for decarbonising our economy further uh, through the economic stimulus that we will need uh, to recover from from this terrible pandemic. BZE introduced its million jobs plan this year for in, in renewables, and I think it's up to nearly two million jobs that they've identified. Has that influenced your thinking on making those decisions? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, we, we know through the, the reporting that you've done, uh, many other organisations out there, whether they're businesses, whether they're industry, whether they're community organisations, environmental organisations, they are all pushing in, in the one direction. And that is now is the, the really good opportunity for us to dig deeper, do more, more quickly uh, in terms of climate change action. And I only have to reflect on the fact, um, Kay, that uh, Victoria, uh, in, in a recent comparison or report that Clean Energy Council did uh, in terms of uh, the renewable energy uh, projects that have been built uh, around the country, that uh, Victoria was, was leading the way. Victoria's uh, jobs share uh, an economic investment job share uh, was the highest of all of the states. My aim is to keep us there, but also to go even further because we know that there's really great opportunities there for us to do more. And um, you will also note, of course, uh, that uh, your supporters, your followers, your members will have noticed that not all that long ago, about a month ago, we announced our second period auction. We're going to go we're out to market uh, to build at least uh, 600 megawatts of new renewable energy projects uh, in Victoria. So there's there's a lot more to be done and we are doing a lot already. Well, that was going to be my next question. How, <laughs> is, got in. This, <laughs> that's right. how is that going? How's that been received, that 600 megawatts? Oh, look, really, really well. And uh, the, the important thing to note here is that um, we, we've done our market sounding. So this is some of the technical uh, first steps that we do uh, before we go straight into the auction itself, uh, market soundings uh, have been very comprehensive and they've actually brought out many, many different, uh, many, many businesses uh, and investors that are really, really keen uh, to, to invest more dollars. And it just shows you what strong government leadership can do. It can bring forward a lot of the global, billions of dollars in global investment that's looking for places to invest. And Victoria is one of the standouts really globally of governments that actually do present really good investment opportunities to get projects built, get jobs created. And that that obviously means terrific things for regional Victoria and also local supply chains. So there's a win here for everyone. And, and this auction number two is certainly proving to be one that is driving already a lot of excitement. Yes, it certainly is exciting. And it is impressive that Victoria is leading the, all the other states in Australia with regards to renewables and investment there, especially given that we don't have as much sun as the other states and we don't have the land, but um, with the positive policies that there's, the investors are flooding here. So let's visit the time late last year where the Victorian government announced that it would legislate to allow it to forge its own path on upgrading the electricity grid infrastructure and implementing renewable technologies such as giant batteries. So this meant an amendment to the National Electricity Act to give the state the power to undertake renewable projects without waiting for the permission of the National Energy Market Commission. Have you been able to implement that? Oh, we're doing it right now, okay. I'm really, really uh, excited that, that we took this very important step. And it's an important step because we know, and we've heard loud and clear, that the current rules around our national electricity market, all the regulations that exist, that were made at a time where we didn't have the dynamic and rapid innovative change within the energy system that we have now, that we've seen for a number of years. And therefore, the rules around that 
have meant effectively there's been delays in projects that have been able to get approval and, and actually be built. And, and some projects, in fact, will probably never be built because the rules are not meant for what we need today. And what we need today is uh, more renewable energy projects to be built. We need, uh, especially in the light of our ageing coal generators that are getting older, they're getting less reliable. Uh, and if they're getting less reliable, we're going to have to have solutions and we're going to have to have alternative energy sources in place and, and also the complementary technologies that sit alongside of that. They include large batteries, of course. There are other technologies out there. But I'm really pleased to say that the first project that we went out to market with under our new NEVA legislation was that uh, we commissioned the Australian Energy Market Operator to go out and hold a tender process for a new system integrity scheme. And we're going to be, that's been really successful. I can't say too much just yet, but we're not far away from making a really important and really big announcement on that one. It will demonstrate definitely in a very tangible way in a very short period of time that uh, us changing that legislation, it will prove to be really very much in the interests of all Victorians for a lot of different reasons and uh, uh, cost effectiveness, uh, being able to meet our energy challenges head on. Um, so I'm very, very excited by it. So does that mean if AEMO is supporting this that other states will follow Victoria's path? Well, well look, I'm not, I, I don't believe that any other, any other states have given themselves the powers that we've given ourselves in Victoria. Uh, but, you know, that, that never stops Victoria from leading the way and being the first uh, to do things that, that are bold, ambitious, uh, but absolutely doable. Uh, we've never shied from that. I'm not about to start, Kay. Uh, and, uh, if, if if, <laughs> and if we uh, help to shine a light for other states to follow, I'm very happy to give them a briefing on uh, what we've done uh, to, to, uh, to bring about some really strong outcomes, and it won't be far away. Can't say any more than that because uh, I'll be in big trouble, but uh, we're not far away from making some very important announcements on that. Uh, we're talking this month or next month? Oh, very soon. Very, very soon. Very I'm soon. looking forward to that. <laughs> so broad public rejection of climate policy, particularly around the issues of fairness and equity, were frequently highlighted as the next big looming challenges in Europe. Mm. Tasmania is also seeing a pushback from locals who are concerned that major new transmission lines will impact valued landscapes and natural habitats. Do you see that as a potential issue for Victoria? Well, I think uh, what's really important here is having the conversation with communities, with people. When we explain to them the situation that we're facing now in terms of our existing energy system, doing nothing is not an option. Doing nothing will actually lead to higher prices. Doing nothing will lead to blackouts because we just won't have sufficient supply of energy available for when we most need it. We know our summers are getting hotter, they're getting longer. We know here in Victoria, our existing thermal generators are getting older, they're getting less reliable. It's not Lily D'Ambrosio saying that, it's, it's the facts. It's the facts that are recorded each and every summer uh, when, when we have failures. Doing nothing will cost all of us dearly. Uh, it will cost businesses when the lights go out, when they don't have sufficient power uh, in the middle of uh, a heat wave to be able to carry on their business and, and provide the jobs uh, or be able to work our air conditioners uh, in the middle of summer. And so we need a well-planned transition that understands that 
there is a central role that governments need to play because ultimately governments in, in the area of energy, at least, it's not about making money and making profits. Those things are important. We've got to spend taxpayers' dollar, dollars very, very cautiously and very effectively. But it's about making decisions that ensure that an essential service will be here for every Victorian, not just today, tomorrow, and that they can rely on the fact that it will be there uh, into the future. And that means we are at one of those critical transition points that only really come about maybe once every 50 to 100 years. We're seeing a major transition point here in Victoria, in, in Australia, globally, that we need to build a system that takes us to the future. The future is, of course, a distributed energy generation across our state, across the, the country. Uh, we need the poles and wires to go. We need the transmission network to go where the new sources of power are. And that's really critical. But it's not just about that. It's also about people being generators themselves of their own clean power. And uh, we're not far away here in Victoria from getting our 100,000th uh, solar PV system installed on a roof. This was unheard of. No one would have expected this to happen even just, you know, three, four, five years ago. But we're doing it. And the transition is upon us. We need to manage it. When we manage it well, we keep the costs down. And in fact, doing nothing is not an option because that will lead to higher costs. So on that, um, you're also developing the hydrogen energy supply chain project that will see Victorian brown coal converted to hydrogen exported to Japan. And I know hydrogen is going to be a big industry. Europe's been calling for it, especially Germany and Japan and so forth. So you've started this in the hope that the project will establish commercial supply chains for hydrogen within the next two decades. How quickly do you see uh, Victoria transitioning from using brown coal to support that industry to producing green hydrogen? Well, I think what's important here is that we don't lose sight of the fact that technology changes very rapidly. Uh, successful technologies in particular have uh, agility and can change to changing circumstances, changing needs. So we're also uh, investing in green hydrogen technologies. We'll have more to say on that uh, in, in the near future. But what's really important here is that hydrogen is going to be an essential part of our energy future. Uh, it, it's also potentially uh, an important part of making sure that we maintain a healthy manufacturing base because we know that with some manufacturing activities, some manufacturing processes, hydrogen will play an important substitution for, for other fuels, if you like. And so here in Australia, here in Victoria, we've got the abundance of natural resources, renewable resources in particular, that not only are sufficient to supply our power needs, our power generation needs, but certainly the development of hydrogen. Hydrogen as a carrier of energy can source power that is generated at times where we don't use it, we don't need it, store it, and then be able to tap it at the times when we do need the power. So it provides us with the agility uh, that we need, which will ensure that uh, we have the greater confidence that we have sufficient power to meet all of our needs and, and, and energy supply well into the future at different times of the day or night. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lily D'Ambrosio, Victorian Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change. In terms of then supplying 100% of Victoria's energy needs for renewable energy, are you now looking at, say, 3 or 4 or 
so that you can bring on processes like hydrogen generation. The uh, economic viability of hydrogen, uh, once it becomes much more competitive than where it is now, and, and the predictions are, Alan Finkel will say this, uh, Australia's chief scientist will say that hydrogen will one day in the not too distant future be uh, very competitive. Once it does that, there is no limit to much renewable energy you can produce other than your own physical space. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you store it? Uh, why wouldn't you potentially export it to other markets that have perhaps less uh, land mass to be able to produce hydrogen from renewable energy sources? So really, th there's no limit to this other than our own imagination and our own lack of ambition. And we, in Victoria, we certainly have a lot of imagination and a, a lot of ambition. I, I certainly want to keep growing that. And I'm very, uh, very much uh, of the view that, you know, the next two or three years, we'll, uh, we will see significant big steps in innovation in our energy system. Let's talk about the ban on onshore conventional gas export exploration in Victoria that was lifted in March this year. Given what we know about the precarious state of our climate and the disproportional impact that gas has on global warming, why have you gone down this path? I think it's important for us to understand that when we talk about and when we plan for the decarbonisation of our society, of our community, all of the sectors within that, that we need to not lose sight of what the big picture is. And the big picture here in Victoria is that we've committed and we've legislated for net zero emissions by 2050. We've actually gone beyond what some other states have done. We've actually legislated to have interim emissions targets interim targets in 25, interim targets in 2030, well, which will be effectively a signal uh, to everyone in Victoria, to businesses, to industry, to individuals, the broader community, about the step changes that we want to get to. So the intention is to put policies in place, investments in place to get us to those interim targets so that we create a, an environment, we create an economy that is starting to change and making the decisions, the investment decisions at the right time so that uh, as innovation occurs, as new opportunities occur, for example, in decarbonising transport or decarbonising agriculture, they're the big challenges. We've got answers for energy. Uh, but we know agriculture and transport are the, the areas that need the big innovative step changes, that we actually have a roadmap to get there. So what I would say is that we need, we need to see the bigger picture and we need to understand that the bigger picture does have some important interim uh, steps that need to be taken, some big steps. Our commitment is to do that and we'll have more to say on what our interim emissions reduction targets uh, will be in Victoria for 2030. We will be making some big steps. Um, so that's what I ask people to focus on. The way we decarbonise uh, needs to be strategic. Uh, it needs to take communities with us. And ultimately, the test should be about all of the inputs in terms of decarbonising and not just focus on one element that may may cause a lot of agitation in the community, but we need to see it within the context, the broader context of government ambition and action. So are you actually saying that it'll price itself out of the market given the incentives you're giving to renewables? <laughs> oh, I haven't really said that, but, okay, um, but, but the, the fact is this, I mean, innovation is on us. 
Uh, and and I've been around long enough, but even sh in short enough time to understand that things can move very, very rapidly and very quickly uh, in a very short period of time when, when we're talking about emissions, uh, ch changes in emissions and the technologies that are with us. But we need to do it in a way that, that does, uh, does not leave communities behind. You know, we live in democracy. Democracies, um, you know, are, are fought and won around election periods, around election cycles. But we also need to make sure that we don't lose sight of the bigger picture, the longer term. And we need to put in place policies uh, that are, are ambitious, but also take communities with us. And we can do both. We can do both. And uh, my aim is for Victoria to be basically a leader in climate action and reducing emissions uh, and having ambition when it comes to uh, emissions reduction. You mentioned transport as being one of the important ones to address and you're introducing the AEVA 2020 Electric Vehicle Vision, which is an online conference on November 27. And this is the largest electric vehicle only conference ever in Australia. So we're all looking forward to that. Are you planning to make any announcements about electric vehicle initiatives in Victoria? Well, we've got a budget coming up in Victoria. The date's being determined now. Well, I think it's the 23rd of November. So I, I'm very much looking forward to that budget. I, I can't articulate what's in there, but certainly we'll have to wait for the budget for a lot of the announcements that will be made. Now, Kay, I think you had the date of that EV conference. I, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. What November 27th. Oh, the 27th. Oh, well, we'll know the, what the, <laughs> the budget will contain by, by then. So, but, but I'm very confident that Victorians will be very proud of many of the initiatives that we'll be putting forward in terms of climate change and action, uh, renewable energy, but not just renewable energy. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And, and really I, what I say to everyone is to stay tuned. Uh, we do need to have some important uh, steps uh, to be taken across a range of sectors and um, I'm very confident that people will will see that the steps that uh, we will be announcing and taking uh, will give us all heart that we are very serious as a government to achieving changes, taking serious action on climate and, and getting those uh, emissions reductions down in a very concerted and deliberative way. Well certainly um, countries such as Norway, Scotland, Canada and New Zealand have provided successful and significant incentives for the introduction of EVs mm. and uh, I look forward to Victoria leading the way here in Australia because there's not much happening in this space federally. No, that, no that's right Kate and I think what's going to be really important here is that we have um, a really serious uh, conversation about what the levers are that states have. State jurisdictions only have so many levers available to them in, in transport in particular. That's not to say we don't have some, but, but the big ones are very much, you know, with, with, with the federal government. It has been very disappointing that a handful of years ago, the federal government did look at changes in fuel emissions, if you like, of uh, vehicles. They've sat on a report now for a number of years and they don't look like they're going anywhere near picking it up off the shelf and dusting it off to, to make the decisions that are needed. But I think it's still going to be very important for states to advocate for very strong national action uh, on the levers that national governments have and states don't. That's going to be really important here. I think it's going to be really important for people to, under to accept that uh, whilst I always want 
people to, to vote for Labor governments in Victoria. And, and, um, and my aim is to always uh, work hard to ensure that, well, to work for people's support and ongoing support uh, and for the actions that we'll take. But I do want to put a cautionary message out there to everybody that we need to hold a national government to account and we can't let them off the hook. They've got to be on the hook for playing their part in the challenge of climate change. Uh, they can't be let off the hook. And, uh, and I ask people to think really carefully about the changes that are needed at a national level and, uh, and, and think very seriously about uh, uh, what is in the domain of uh, national governments and, and make choices uh, at the right time to ensure that we actually get the, the, uh, the changes and the governments that uh, we need. You mentioned the budget will um, introduce an, a number of new initiatives. Is there anything being done in terms of social housing and energy efficiency in social housing? Look, I know that there's been a lot of advocacy over the years uh, from many organisations, uh, energy efficiency sector itself, but also uh, the welfare community, welfare organisations about improving the energy efficiency of, uh, of homes. And, and we know from past studies that have been undertaken, Sustainability Victoria, the One Million Homes Alliance, a number of other uh, coming together of organisations, uh, they've shown that Australia's housing stock, especially built before the 1990s, uh, are very, very poor, very, very poorly built in terms of the energy efficiency rating of those. And uh, we continue to pay for those in different ways now, um, not just, of course, uh, with rising uh, bills for, for heating our homes, or we pay by bad health impacts for those people who aren't able to afford to pay for good heating or good cooling. And we pay also for the emissions that we produce uh, to achieve a healthier home, a cooler home or a warmer home. There are better ways of doing this, better ways uh, that keep people healthier, keep our environment healthier and keep our bills down and energy efficiency is an important part of that. Look, uh, I, I can't say too much on this one because it's one of those areas there where I don't want to let any cats out of the bag, any cat out of the bag, but um, certainly I'm very well aware of the important role that energy efficiency plays in tackling not just climate change, but also, of course, the, the, the welfare of community members and, uh, and helping people help themselves in terms of doing their, their bit for climate change. So we, again, look forward to the budget. Hearing we'll see. If there's anything yes. in that. <laughs> it's, uh, this budget will be a massive budget, Kay. The Premier's been really very clear about this. Our Treasurer has too. It's probably going to be the biggest budget on record uh, in terms of investment, uh, economic stimulus. But as I said, you know, there are also great opportunities here for us to make take some very, very large steps, in fact, strides when it comes to climate change. Just quickly then, forestry. There's a lot of carbon emissions with um, the, our national forest being logged. Is yes. anything going to change in that area? Well, we did make some uh, very big announcements uh, about a, a, a year ago now. Time's gone by so quickly, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was about a year ago, but certainly about November, actually. Yes, it was in November last year where we announced that uh, we would get out of all of all of native timber uh, logging by 2030. But we also, a year ago, 
uh, made some announcements uh, where would we would protect immediately 90,000 hectares of uh, Victoria's remaining rare and precious old growth forest. And we know that these two policies taken together will reduce the state's carbon emissions by 1.71 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent each year. So that's the equivalent of taking 730,000 cars off the road annually. So it is a big step, very, very big step. And only a Labor government would, would take this step and we've done this. Uh, very soon we will be going into consultations uh, in the coming uh, months with communities about how we now, how, how do we want to protect these immediate protection areas. There will also be a step down if in native timber harvesting in, in the early 2020s and it's, it'll be a, a significant step down uh, and then certainly a phasing down and a phasing out of uh, logging by 2030 and that will be a, a significant a, a significant assistance to meeting uh, re, uh, our emissions reduction targets. Great news. So one final question. You've just announced a CDS, a container deposit scheme, um, and Victoria is the last state to announce such a scheme. Can you tell us what that's about? Yeah, so um, certainly a number of months ago, myself and the Premier made an announcement that we would introduce a container deposit scheme in Victoria. We heard loud and clear from Victorians they wanted one. We know that Victorians are absolutely committed to recycling. They know that there's a lot more that we can do, and we are backing up our commitments which includes the CDS with more than $300 million that will be invested, that is being invested over the next four years uh, in recycling. That includes introducing a four-bin uh, system for curbside collection, uh, but it also includes a CDS. So today uh, we announced our proposed model for a container deposit scheme. Uh, we're proposing uh, that Victoria has a model where there, are, there is a split operation of the system whereby uh, you have a separate operator that manages the network of collection points across the state, separated out from those that will be the, the financial administrators, if you like, of the scheme. And that will be done in, in, in collaboration with beverage industry. We believe having a separation out of the uh, network of collection points will incentivise that, that network operator to have more uh, collection points right across Victoria, uh, making it more accessible, making it easier for Victorians to use. So if, they, if they've got more collection points, it's going to be easier for them to redeem uh, their containers and make the system a fair system and, and, and put downward pressure on costs, which is really important. So we're very excited. I'm really, really excited by this. Uh, there's consultation ha happening over the course of this month. Once we've got the consultation from community members. I encourage everyone to get on the Engage Victoria website. Have your say. We will then move to legislate for the new scheme next year and then commence the process of a tender process, if you like, or a process of getting administrators in place, the network operator in place, getting the scheme up and running by the end of 2022, but it could end up being early 2023. COVID has obviously been a bit, bit of a challenge for, for many industries, but uh, uh, as soon as we possibly can, we want to make sure that it get, it's done right. These are very complex systems to get right. We've seen from um, other states that have gone ahead of us that there have been some bumps along the way, 
Uh, we want to learn from those experiences and make sure that uh, we have a system that is well-designed, that is very accessible no matter where people live, that is, of course, uh, one that is easy for people to use and one that uh, is fair. And the exciting part of this, of course, will be that there will be so many, there will be opportunities for people to take, you know, their containers to a busy shopping centre where in public spaces they might have a reverse vending machine where they can just drop off their containers and get their 10 cent uh, refund. Or they might want to actually dedicate that refund to their favourite charity or their local sporting club uh, or St Vincent de Paul, wherever. So these are the, the ideas that we want to uh, have coming forward from Victorians because we know that Victorians love recycling they also are great in terms of community spirit and sharing. And this is an opportunity where there can be so many winners. Everyone can be a winner here. Uh, the environment, where we're reducing the litter in our environment, we're actually re recycling uh, valuable resources rather than going to landfill and adding to our uh, emissions. Um, recycling uh, will help to reduce our emissions. It will reduce litter. It will uh, keep the value uh, in, in the economic stream, create 600 jobs, 700 jobs. That's what's happening in other states. Uh, and it'll mean cash for bottles, cash for cans, cash for, for cartons uh, in the pocket of families or indeed their favourite charities. And um, I think there's a lot of feel good in that too, but also it makes a hell of a lot of sense for the environment. On all levels, doesn't it? And it is exciting that it's now happening because Victorians have been really keen on on having this so well done and um, thank you for implementing it it's been really exciting talking to you I'm really looking forward to the budget this year now <laughs> I don't <laughs> normally say that and I want to thank you for your time today Lily thank you very much Kay and can I, can I just thank all of your supporters I mean they're, they're real champions out there you know they, they you know yourself um, and, and others show such leadership and inspiration for all of us and uh, that's not lost on me ever. And we need to keep our ambition levels up. We need to obviously make sure that communities come along with us because if if, if communities feel left behind, then, then you know, there's, there's problems that come with that and, and you lose social licence. But our job, my job and my commitment uh, is, is to uh, to be able to, to show that leadership that we need, that communities want us to do to allow communities to have a say and a place within that leadership and, and doing things, getting change made and taking communities with us because we know uh, that, that we can do this and we can do it together. Thanks very much for your kind words, Lily, and thank you for your drive and passion and success. Thanks very much, Kane. Best wishes to you. You've been listening to the Victorian Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change and Minister for Solar Homes, the Honourable Lily D'Ambrosio. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of this show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZD website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing 
demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.